Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and in this week's episode, we talk about your 7 and 19 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about elevating Isaiah Stewart into the starting lineup, what we've seen so far from Dennis Smith Jr., Sadiq Bey's big night against the Boston Celtics, and the rough week Jeremy Grant had. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Happy Valentine's Day to everyone listening. Hope um, everyone's doing well. I'm doing well. I'm grateful, healthy, healthy, happy, have a wonderful family, wonderful spouse. Uh, and, and we have some fun Pistons things to talk about, too. So, so that's good. How are you doing, Laz? I'm doing well. It's Valentine's Day, a very uh, exciting, low-key Valentine's Day here in the Jackson house, uh, but it is Valentine's Day, so I wanted to ask a Valentine's Day-themed question, since, you know, how often are we going to do a pod on Valentine's Day? <laughs> like, what do you love about the Pistons, Ben? What do, what, do you, what do you love about the Pistons? Ooh, okay, you know, I mean, I love lots of things about this franchise. I think the thing I love most about the franchise as a whole is I really feel like the Pistons have always embodied their city. And right now I'm really glad that they're back home, right? Like we don't have a bunch of fans in the arena right now because we're living through a pandemic. But, you know, I love I love that the Pistons really embody the city of Detroit, what it means to, to be a hardworking city. The best the Pistons have ever been have been that hardworking, blue-collar, grinded-out, uh, for your for your teammates and for your fans kind of franchise. Uh, and I'm happy to be a fan of that franchise, even in the low times like we've had now and, and for a while. Yeah, I'm still, really, I'm still I'm still really grateful to be a fan of that kind of franchise. Yeah, no, that that's a good answer. And my answer is going to be kind of similar. Uh, I, I love the fact that the Pistons kind of keep me close to Detroit, right? They keep me Ooh, close yeah. to home. I you know, we live in North Carolina now. We don't, you know, with everything that's going on, we haven't been back to Michigan in over a year at this point, which is crazy and wild to think about. But yeah, the uh, the the Pistons are kind of one of the few remaining things that like make me feel like I'm still in the city of Detroit at times. And uh, for that, you know, I you know I really appreciate that and I love that from them. Um, you know, that said, when when they're down, it is kind of, it is kind of a love hate relationship, but uh. But yeah, things uh things go back and, and forth. But yeah, so you know the week like the week the week kind of went back and forth uh for this Detroit Pistons team. We had a nice win over Brooklyn, then a big loss against Indiana, and then a close win over Boston. And we are recording this prior to whatever happens against the New Orleans Pelicans today, um at seven o'clock. That is too late for old man Laz and old man Ben to uh, <laughs> record a podcast after. But uh, the big thing that I really noticed this week, Ben, was Jeremy Grant having a, a tougher week than we've come to expect out of him. 
He only averaged only he only averaged 18 points, five rebounds, and three assists this week. His turnovers spiked to three turnovers a game, which doesn't sound that high, but that's pretty high for for Jeremy Grant at this point in uh, in time in his Pistons tenure. He's shooting 38 percent from the floor this week and 33 percent from three. Uh, are you worried about the way he's uh, kind of slowed down at all, Ben? It's not easy to be the the primary option for any team uh, every night. Yeah, I mean, you said that well. Um, this is obviously adjustment for him, which we've talked about at length on the pod. And and look, we've we've talked about this a few times over. I think the last month or so, defenses have really keyed in to Jeremy Grant, right? Like it, it's no longer double team Blake Griffin. It's it's focused the entire defense around uh, Jeremy Grant. I will say I'm not worried right now about Jeremy Grant. If we look at his week. Um, so far, obviously, we still have another game tonight, as you just mentioned. He really just kind of had two stinkers, and that really drags the week stats down, right? He really struggled uh, shooting the ball against the Pacers. He really struggled shooting the ball against the Celtics, 5 for 16, and I think, yeah, even worse, 4 for 17 against the Pacers. But having said that, he played fantastic against the Nets, shot the ball well, played big minutes, um, you know, did, did everything we would expect him to do. Um, so I think, you know, maybe instead of being worried about Jeremy Grant, what what I would like to see Jeremy Grant and the coaching staff do is look at these poor shooting nights um, as opportunities to do other things. I think, you know, if I have a criticism of Jerry, Jeremy Grant's offense so far this season, it's that he's not yet a facilitator, right? Like we've talked about his assist numbers being low. Um, and those kinds of things. But it's not just the numbers, right? I, I think Jeremy, when he especially puts the ball on the floor, he's looking to get to the rim because he's obviously very good at it. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see the next step in his development become, you know, when the shot's not falling, especially from deep, you know, what are the other things I can do offensively um, to continue to be a productive member of the offense? And, and I think that needs to become how to become a better facilitator. So you know, I'm not worried about one week of Jeremy Grant with, with two particularly poor shooting nights. I think he's proven to me so far this season that he continue he can continue to be a really offensive uh, and efficient offensive scorer. Um, but let's see the next step in the development uh, as it relates to getting your teammates involved and being a better facilitator, especially when the defense is really keyed in on you. Yeah, I I agree that facilitation has been something that uh, he needs to improve on to kind of hit that next level. It's also been something I've been impressed with him uh, doing so far this season. But you, you like you pointed out, he was doing that um, earlier in the year when defenses weren't taking him as seriously, right? Now that defenses are taking him more seriously, they're you know more aware of what he's capable of on a night-to-night basis. It's much. Uh, it's become like more difficult for him to to play make to to make plays for others. Um, the other thing I, I wonder about is just like the physical toll. Mm. You know, being uh, the number one option can take on a, a player. Like Jeremy's twenty six. He's not a spring chicken, but um, you know that that type of just beating that you take every night is very different uh, for a guy who's, you know, playing the role Jeremy was playing on the Denver Nuggets last year and the the guy that he's being asked to be right now. And so he's probably having like, you know, a much different season than, than he's ever had in his professional career. And I just wonder, you know, physically about that toll, the toll that takes on, on his body. Um, I am also not, you know, worried per se, it was like it was noticeable, especially in the 
especially in the Indiana game when it, it didn't feel like, and I, I talked to Mark Schindler after that game, and it didn't really feel like Indiana had anyone in the lineup like capable of defending Jeremy Grant, and he just had a bad night, right? That those kind of things happen. But I, I do kind of, uh, I do want to keep an eye out for those bad nights, and if they start piling up, like now we start to wonder, like what, what can we do to, uh, to make those bad nights happen less often? Um, I will say that earlier, you know, we did talk about uh, the coach earlier, like previous podcast, not like earlier this podcast, we talked about how uh, the coaching staff is doing a better job of like putting Jeremy in advantage situations, you know, running him off flare screens. Um, giving him chances to like attack with an advantage. I feel like some of that has lessened a little bit. I feel like uh, as he was struggling, we see more like isolations of him, you know, doing like sidestep threes or um, those like uh, those fearless forays to the basket. But, um, you know, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes like the way you make the game simpler and easier for yourself is just like winning simple. It's like, you know, Jeremy Grant doesn't always have to be, um, the, the shot creating Marvel that he's been so far, like we can get, you know, we can get Jeremy Grant some easy dunks like that. That seems nice, right? Like we should try and do that more often. And so I, I do think that like when his offense, his self-created offense is kind of slowing down, the Pistons should look to like return him to that, like, uh, that dependent, uh, role that he was like earlier in his career that he had success with. Yeah, and I think particularly this week, it was kind of like when it rains, it pours, right? Like, so not only yeah. did he shoot poorly, but he also turned the ball over a lot in his two bad games. So it was just the errors just kind of compounded, and and so that's why I'm thinking like, um, you know, as a guy who is now becoming accustomed to being the guy and the scorer, like you're gonna have bad shooting nights. The key is when you know you're having one of those nights, like how do you adjust? and continue to be a positive force instead of, you know, turning the ball over a lot on top of not shooting well. Right. And that, again, I think we have to cut him some slack instead, in spite of the fact that he's 26, this is really his first season in this role that we've talked about. So, I mean, there's a learning curve and I think, you know, he's got to be continue to be teachable and learn from the, the bad games and how to continue to be a productive force on offense, even when the ball's not going through the hoop as much as you want. No, absolutely. And, and speaking of productive forces on offense, I mean, Sadiq Bay like more than made up for what Jeremy Grant lacked uh, against the Celtics, going seven for seven from three, scoring a career high thirty points against Boston. Uh, that that's basically like that's as good as it's going to get for for Sadiq Bay this season. That's the I think he tied KCP for the most points in Pistons history from a rookie, mm-hmm. which is like really impressive. He, he put his name all over the Pistons record books in a bunch of ways on that night. Um, and afterwards, friend of the program Duncan Smith said uh, on Twitter that Luke Kennard would never have a game as good <laughs> as the game Sadiq just had. I don't know if that's true, but uh, do performances like the one we saw from Sadiq on, uh, what was that, Friday? On Friday, make you feel better about how that trade went down? You know, I'm really glad Sadiq pays a piston, and I think that's how I want to answer that. Because <laughs> we sent so many picks, so many picks. But look, Sadiq didn't have just a good game. He's had a really solid week, right? He He's on a shooting tear. I think he kind of maybe stole Wayne Ellington's juju or something because <laughs> he was just absolutely on fire all week long. And I tell you what, the other things I liked about Sadiq this week is I see a little more confidence Um Maybe not necessarily putting the ball on the floor, but he had a couple nice post-ups, a couple nice finishes inside the arc as well. Um, so right now, he's certainly the 3 and D kind of guy 
Um, and as a rookie, I, I like his patience. He's not trying to force the other parts of his game before they're ready. But in addition to just shooting the leather off the ball, I think he did some other nice things offensively as well. Um, and, you know, obviously in a game like we had against the Celtics, which interesting to see the Pistons be the Celtics kryptonite. I mean, three really close games against the Celtics, which is interesting. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we've talked about Jeremy Grant struggles without Sadiq Bay playing like he did against the Celtics. The Pistons obviously don't, don't win that one. So he, you know, single-handedly almost, he and DeLon Wright, I guess we should shout out to DeLon Wright as well. Just fantastic play um, and fantastic shooting that kept the Pistons in the game throughout and ultimately sealed the victory. Yeah, I have, so that single game raised Sadiq's three-point percentage on the year from 37%, if I'm reading this right, to 41%, which is which is kind of ridiculous. Um, so now we can say, hey, Sadiq's a 40% from three-point shooter on the year, and that's why he should probably play more. But no, you're right. Uh, he was getting more consistent minutes over the last week, right? He played, you know, 25 minutes against Phoenix, 25 minutes against the Lakers, and both of those were uh, were losses, but still, like, you know, he was starting, I believe, in the Lakers game. Uh, you know, 20 minutes against Brooklyn. Obviously, he played almost 30 minutes against, against the Celtics. Um and he's really adding an element of shooting that has been hard for the Pistons to replace since Wayne Ellington kind of lost his juju, right? Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't even know what's what to make of what Wayne is uh, going through right now. Like he he was out a couple of games for the the calf strain, um, and he only shot like sixteen percent from three in his three games back. And so I wonder if. You know, maybe the time is good. The time is good to like go in the direction of Josh Jackson in the starting lineup. Um, you know, that was the case for Josh prior to the ankle injury. You know, maybe the time is good to put Steak in the lineup after such a good game. But uh, you know, what do you, what do you think the Pistons need to do uh, regarding Wayne, Ben? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be of the perspective that shooters need to shoot, and to me, Wayne Ellington is a proven shooter, and. Because of that, I'm going to have a, a fairly long leash with him in terms of at least getting up his shots, right? So regardless of whether he's starting, regardless of whether he's coming off the bench, um, he's proof throughout his career that he's going to make shots. And obviously, we've seen the other side of the coin. You'd like your shooters to be maybe a little more consistent than either can't miss or can't make. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm all about getting Sadiq Bey um and Josh Jackson and Svi as well, who's kind of in and out of the rotation, um, more minutes because we don't know quite who those players are yet as finished products, whereas we do with Wayne Ellington. Um, but, you know, I guess I don't feel as strongly about the starting lineup as maybe some other fans do. Um, I don't have a problem with settling into a consistent starting five and adjusting total minutes played based on who's shooting well. Uh, because I think that lets a guy settle into a rhythm and lets them know what to expect and when to expect it. I think, you know, when I was a player, the thing I always wanted to know from my coaches is, you know, what is my role and what can I plan, you know, what can I plan on doing? You know, like obviously something can happen, injury can happen, foul trouble can happen. You always got to be ready. But at the same time, there's something to be said for, you know, I know what my role is going to be. I know roughly when I'm going to get into the game and I can get my head right for that role on a consistent game to game basis. So I'm not super passionate about who should start or not. 
Um, but I will say Josh does seem to have found his shot a little bit, um, you know, that he's sort of returning to form pre-injury, so to speak. His turnovers are a little scary to me, lad. I don't know. Maybe maybe you've noticed that as well, uh, which kind of offsets some of um, the good shooting. But I also like what Josh does um, off the bench. I think, you know, when we consider our backup point guard position, Josh gives the second unit some ability to slash and attack the basket off the dribble that we don't necessarily get out of our backup point guard. So I, I would understand continuing to bring him off the bench in spite of the fact that he's returning to form a little bit. Yeah. And we've seen, we've seen that be the case, right? We've seen Sadiq start and be a part of the starting lineups uh, and Josh continue to come off the bench, even after the, uh, the ankle injury, you know, he would re- Josh returned from the ankle injury. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to make a point. No, uh, <laughs> Sadiq, uh, Sadiq and Wayne and Svi are the three kind of like uh, interlocking like shooters you have on this roster. There's like the the three uh, premier like perimeter threats uh, on this roster, and I think that you know with as like as Wayne is kind of waxing, you can you can definitely like choose to highlight Sadiq and Svi more often. Um, you know, much has been made on Twitter of like of Svi's inconsistent role. Um, I do think Svi would benefit from you know, a conversation with him about like what exactly his role is on this team and and how he can best contribute offensively and perhaps like sticking to that. Um, but I do kind of wonder about uh, about Wayne. I know you know there's the calf injury. We do have to worry about that. His game is so predicated off movement. Um, shooting those like wonderful pull-up threes or flying off those those DHOs that I do kind of wonder if any little like physical thing could uh, could be enough to knock off the shot and then maybe if that's the case we should make sure he's healthy before we start you know uh, diminishing his role in the rotation uh, to an extent but uh, but yeah like Sadiq um, Sadiq and Svi like both need uh, opportunities to to show what they can do offensively and we've seen them play together, um, but we haven't seen like we haven't seen like Svi start, I don't think. And we, we, we've seen Sadiq start. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see like sometime in the coming weeks, you know, one of those guys uh, enter the starting lineup. Um, but the oh, well, that, that's what I was going to say. The other thing that does kind of concern me with that, with those shooters, is like you mentioned, the, the situation of backup point guard, right? Like, uh, I don't know, you know, how effective you know, a shooter like Svi or Wayne is going to be with a guy who we don't really trust as a distributor and Dennis Smith Jr. getting them the ball in positions to, to make shots. Um, you know, actually it was a little funny. Like if you watch a lot of what Sadiq was able to accomplish against the Celtics, it was a lot of uh, passes from Dennis Smith Jr., but not anything like special. He's just like passing the ball to Sadiq and letting him fire away. Um, and that's how he ended up with like five assists in like 12 minutes or whatever in the first half. But um, but yeah, I, I do kind of wonder about um, the the role we ask shooters to play on uh, a bench lineup that has a lot less shot creation and a lot less uh, quality point guard play. Actually, you know, we, we should we should transition then into like the the backup point guard kind of thoughts. What have what have you what is what have you thought of the way Dennis Smith Jr. has played so far, Ben? Like he. Uh, he obviously had, you know, the five assists like we mentioned in the first half against Boston, uh, but didn't make a shot. 
uh, made a couple shots against the Pacers, and that's really the only two games he's played in. So it's probably a little early to make like a full judgment, but what are your uh, initial impressions? So I agree. It's it's too early to make a, a robust sort of uh, commentary on Dennis Smith Jr. so far, but I think you can sort of see in his athleticism why he was highly touted coming out of college, right? I mean, he looked awkward at times. He obviously doesn't know the sets. He doesn't know his teammates. That led to some really silly and unfortunate turnovers. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think you do have to give him a little bit of credit in that Boston game because I think if you're if you're a point guard, one of the things you need to be tuned into is which of your teammates is feeling it, right? And, you know, he obviously understood, as did everyone else in the gym, that Sadiq Bey was feeling it and got him the ball. So, so credit to him for that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm more excited about watching him play than Saban Lee and Frank Jackson because, you know, at a minimum, you have this explosive athleticism that I think you want to try to tap into. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to be looking for. I do think that the the second unit point guard position is up for grabs. And, you know, one of those guys is going to emerge as the guy who gets the job. Um, and so, you know, I like the fact that there's another player in the mix who's young, got them that got some athleticism and some things to prove, um, you know, even if the reports are correct, Laz, that you mentioned last week that the Pistons did not acquire DFJ to get a look at him. I mean, if, if he plays well and he earns it, um, you know, he, he's got the potential to earn his next contract, whether that's with Detroit or elsewhere. And I think if you're the Pistons, that, you know, that's a, that's a kind of situation you want to create if you're a rebuilding team. You want to create enough competition where guys have to go out and get it. Uh, and I think, you know, credit to Dwayne Casey as well. He's going to let DSJ get that chance. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to see more of him. He's done enough uh, for me to be curious, and I think that's enough for two games so far. No, I, I agree. He he had a really nice finish against DeMontis Sabonis in the uh, Indiana Pacers game, and, like, that's the type of finish you hoped he could convert m- more often. But that's just like what he hasn't he hasn't been able to do that uh, across the, the course of his career. Um, well, you know, what we've seen so far out of Dennis is something I think I personally like expected a guy who can get to the rim, who can put pressure on the defense, but who can't always convert at the rim. Uh, you know, I had a. Uh, I think it was I think it was uh, Hal Bridius uh, on Twitter pointed out that like because of his wingspan, his wingspan is um, I don't I don't know if he's a T Rex, but he's uh, I think he's only like six two and he's only got like a six three wingspan, and so a lot of that uh, affects what like what he's able to do around the rim. You know, finishing through the trees, it's a lot easier if your arms are longer. Um, he's just not able to get along uh, away with some of the other things that uh, other point guards can get away with. Um, but he but we see like he he can definitely put pressure on the rim. And as you as you pointed out, like if he is still a point guard, he can still like you know take stock of which of his teammates is uh, is uh, playing well and trying to get them the ball in advantage situations. Uh, we saw a really nice, yeah, like a really nice play with uh, like some limited minutes with Jeremy Grant, and like obviously people are going to look good passing the ball to Jeremy Grant, but I think he, uh, he kind of immediately understood like to to create an advantage there and, and tried his best to do that, and I appreciated that. Um, yeah, we'll we'll continue to see what's up with with Dennis Smith. Uh, I really hope that um, I think if it's it's a little like odd to say, but I think you know if we get the fact that the Pistons hit on the reclamation projects of you know Josh Jackson and uh, 
and like the expansion of role with Jeremy Grant and they they get another, you know, uh, you know, second draft find in Dennis Smith Jr. I think that will really send a signal across the league to other players who are, you know, unhappy with their current situations that like, hey, like if you are willing to work and you're willing to, uh, you know, do things and, and improve on your career, like if you come to Detroit, like we will give you an opportunity to make that possible. And I feel like that's that's something that you can always kind of use uh, extra advantages in free agency. We're not like, you know, a marquee destination or anything. But if guys know that they come to Detroit and they have an opportunity to, you know, improve on their game and display the improvements that they've shown, like, you know, that, that opens up a lot of a lot of avenues for people. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that that ends up happening for for Dennis Smith Jr. You know, another guy that they they tried to do a reclamation project for was Jaleel Okafor that unfortunately has not really worked out for Jaw. Sadly, um, he's out six to eight weeks after uh, knee injury, uh, knee surgery, excuse me. Um, you know, is, uh, and he would have actually been kind of useful this week with the, uh, with the injuries to Mason Plumley and you know, him not being able to play the Pistons actually kind of needed a, another, you know, big center uh, at, at that position. Um, you know, what, what do you what do you think about what what will the Pistons miss uh, in in not having Jaleel Okafor available for six to eight weeks, Ben? Well, I don't think the franchise and the team is going to miss a whole lot because I think Isaiah Stewart has really solidified himself as the backup center. Um, you know, but I, I feel bad for Jaleel Okafor. His entire career has just kind of kind of gone on the same trajectory, right? Like you can tell when you watch him play that he's got some offensive game, right? But, you know, the injuries and, you know, the inability to capitalize on positive situations has just kind of been, um, you know, so far, unfortunately, what, what his career has been defined by. Um, you know, defensively, that's an entire conversation. He's obviously not where you'd want him to be uh, as the anchor of a defense. Um, but, yeah, as you mentioned right now, the Pistons could really use a third big. Um, so far we've seen small ball and then back up center Blake Griffin and neither of those are uh, ideal or all that conducive to winning. Um, but, you know, I wish him a speedy recovery and, you know, look, even if he doesn't stick here, which it doesn't look like he's gonna, um, you know, maybe he'll show enough to, to find a spot somewhere else where the team defense is better and, and he can be that sort of offensive spark plug off the bench. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm remembering like during the preseason when, you know, when he was, you know, fully in the rotation and how some of those lineups had some really great numbers defensively, and neither you or, you or I could like make sense of why that was happening, but it was. So we were just kind of left to the results. Uh, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I do think, like, obviously, there is still a, a player in in Jaleel Okafor. Um, I think there's still a guy there. Um, anyone who can, uh, you know, produce offensively in the, the, the way that he has over the course of his career is definitely like still an NBA player. I'm, I'm thinking about a guy like, uh, like Ennis Cantor in Portland. Ennis Cantor was a guy, another guy who was drafted really highly. Another guy that has kind of bounced around the league because of his, uh, struggles defensively covering in the pick and roll, but, you know, placed in a situation in Portland that he's returned like multiple times to, um, that, you know, he's able to play off other guards in, in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and, um, you know, just kind of be an, an energy guy. He's like stuck around in the league. And I definitely think like there's a there's a role for a guy like Jaleel Okafor uh, in the league. I I do wonder if that's in Detroit. 
Uh, like you said, uh, Isaiah Stewart has really solidified the, the backup center position. Um, he's, he's solidified the starting center position, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I hope Jaleel has a, a speedy recovery and uh, I hope that, you know, he's able to find uh, a more solid opportunity for him to display like what he's got um, when, when he re- fully recovers. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, Les, you've talked a few times over the season about how the Pistons are ultimately kind of proving themselves to be a, a player friendly franchise right now. When you think about the end of this season, right? Like if the Pistons still are where we are, and then those last 10 or 12 games, once Jalil gets back and maybe there's actually an advantage to losing, you know, I, th- I think a good thing for the Pistons to do would let Jaleel have a little bit of a tryout for his next contract, right? And ultimately that probably serves everyone well, right? Because it doesn't put the pressure on the Pistons to win. It gives him a chance to get out there and do what, what he can do and maybe work his way into, even if it's another vet's minimum contract, at least it's something but you know you could you could see the Pistons doing that given the way that Troy Weaver has sort of steered this franchise so far. That's a that's a great point and a great idea. Something I hadn't fully considered, and only half because you know we literally don't have a schedule for the second half of the season. <laughs> <That's true>. Fair. <laughs> uh, you know, staying on the track of centers, Ben. Uh, you know, with all the injuries, we have seen Isaiah Stewart in the starting lineup. I believe he had uh, the best. He had his uh, best game career uh, points-wise uh, against the Pacers uh, in a loss, but, you know, played DeMontis Sabonis, like, really tough for those extended minutes. Um, you know, had more foul trouble in uh, the first half of the Boston game, but still managed to have a, a pretty solid night. Uh, ben, what, what have you made of uh, how the way Beef Stew has played in the starting lineup, not just off the bench, but as a starter? Yeah, I mean, you can tell that he's going to be the same guy no matter where he's at in the rotation, right? I I think you can count on him to be super high energy, super hard worker, uh, attack the glass, defend with everything he has, even if he's matched up against, you know, a higher skilled player like he was in Sabonis, who, by the way, that was my first extended look at Sabonis, and his game has really developed. Wow, he was really impressive to me. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, I love Isaiah Stewart. He is absolutely a piston um, three point threat, <laughs> Isaiah Stewart oh, very true. against the Nets, like top of the key, no hesitation, knocks it down. Um, I think that was one of the things we talked about in the preseason ledger. Like, could this dude develop the ability to stretch the defense in like a 17 or 18 foot jump shot? Maybe there's a there there with that three point shot. We'll see. Um, no, but I'm a huge fan. Um, you know, I think foul trouble is something he's going to learn to deal with. He's a very aggressive defender. He's a better rim protector than I think any of us anticipated due to that that wingspan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm impressed by the way he stepped up. I, I think the thing I like the most is he doesn't give you the impression that the role was too big for him, right? Like he's got the confidence to step in and do what he does, whether he's the eighth guy off the bench, right? Like the eighth man in the rotation or the starting center. Um, and yeah, I'm completely pleased with where he's at. You can nitpick certain defensive things. I think if you look at the Pacers game really closely in particular, um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. He's won me over completely. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of the, uh, the range with Isaiah Stewart, he did hit, uh, a three against the Celtics. It was just after the whistle. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so like the, the, the shooting appears to be somewhat real. And, and, you know, uh, coming in the future. 
And so like that is something I'm eagerly awaiting. Um, you know, I talked a couple weeks uh, on the mailbag podcast for the other podcast about like what I thought his ceiling was as a player. And I, I called him like a really high level backup. Um, in the starting role, he's been much he's been much better defensively right away against starting level centers, against starting level, you know, NBA guards um, than I expected. And so, I, you know, if that continues, like you know, I might have to reevaluate where um, I believe Isaiah Stewart can be like in his NBA career. Um, like you said, uh, Sabonis played pretty well in that Indianapolis game, but Stewart made him work for all of his points and uh, put pressure on him on the glass, on the, on the offensive glass in a way that I think um, really like makes, if you make a guy that talented work on both ends of the floor. And I I think that's one of the ways that you can really uh, like capture small advantages. And that's something that Stewart, and if some Stewart does anything, like he's going to make dudes work and, and you, you really appreciate that. Um, I, I do, I, and I did think he, he just held up better against, um, against NBA guards than we've seen from him in the past. Um, he, you know, did a pretty good job against the, uh, an in drop coverage against like Tatum and Brown and, uh, Brogdon in the, in the Pacers game. Um, I do kind of wish, and like, he's a rookie, it's going to take him time, but I think as he's good enough at it right now that I think that when he does make strides in that area, uh, he has the potential to be, uh, you know, he has the potential to approach, approach greatness in that area. And so like, yeah, like I, I say, his stewards playing really well. Um, again, we, we don't know if he's going to start tonight. Uh, again, we're recording this before the, the Pelicans game, I believe Mason Plumlee was elevated to questionable. So maybe we see him and Isaiah Stewart kind of slides back into, uh, into his role, uh, as the backup center. But yeah, I got if if that was the the first glimpses of uh, Big Stu starting center, like I, I liked what I saw, and uh, I, I liked what I saw. All right, Ben, uh, that's everything I had this week. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you that you uh, you wanted to talk about? So I got two quick things. The first one, um, I put this out on Twitter a day or two ago. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Delon Wright. Um, he's probably one of the most like boring players to watch in a good way in the sense that he's like, you know, as you talked about keeping it simple, right? Like he's a simple, fundamentally sound kind of player. But like, if you go back and look at some of the big Pistons wins over the past two weeks or so, um, Delon has been very instrumental. He's shot the ball extremely well. Um, he's a super low turnover guy. Uh, and, and I think just, exceeded all expectations that I had in terms of his ability to actually play the point guard and, and play it pretty well. So um, DeLon Wright has been sort of an unsung hero of a, a frustrating and difficult season. I think he's his numbers, like if you look at his season numbers, it's, it's not super impressive. It's like 10 and five or something. But if you think about, you know, the Derek Rose trade, the Killing Hayes injury, like I think he's really answered the bell and given the Pistons a lot of important minutes. Um, the second thing is, I wrote this down last week and I wrote it down this week as well. Like Mason Plumley and his ability to finish lobs is really impressive to me. Um, and I've kind of been a dog about Mason Plumley. I haven't been super high on his signing, but you know, he's arguably like the pest, the Pistons second or third most productive player this season. And 
Um, I'm, I'm seeing glimpses more, especially with his ability to finish lobs as a pick and roll man. Like when Killian Hayes gets back, like I hope he and Plumlee are able to develop a connection because, and I forget who pointed this out on Twitter, but someone mentioned, you know, a couple of these signings, shooters like Wayne Ellington, um, a center like Mason Plumlee who can finish on the pick and roll. Like those guys were brought in to facilitate the development of Killian Hayes. So uh, two shout outs, one to Delon Wright for just being a consummate pro and performing really, really well um, in a difficult situation when you're, you know, sort of a bottom feeder in the league. And then secondly to Mason Plumlee kind of for the same thing, but also, you know, eating crow a little bit because I'm seeing some flashes of things that, you know, when Killian Hayes gets back, I hope we get to see more of. Um, even if it doesn't lead to wins, hopefully it leads to some real development for, for Killian Hayes, the point guard, who, man, it feels like forever ago <laughs> that he went down with an injury. But, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to get him back and, and hopefully get some of that chemistry growing. No, you're you're and you're right to point out Plumlee in particular. There have been there definitely been times during these games where he hasn't played. It's been like, man. The, the the starting lineup could really use a dude who could pass the ball like Mason Plumley does. Uh, but yeah, those those are both excellent points, Ben. Um, I'm glad I asked. All right, Ben, the uh, Pistons have a weird week ahead. They obviously play tonight against New Orleans. Uh, they play home against the Spurs on Tuesday. Then they fly to Dallas to play Wednesday on the back-to-back in Dallas. Uh, they play at Memphis on Friday and then at Orlando on Sunday. So, Ben, since the Pistons only apparently beat really good teams, I think <laughs> they lose every game this week. Does that, does that feel right? Is that is that okay? Oh, that's so funny because I was about to say, like, hopefully no one's um, doing any legal Michigan betting, which is legal now in Michigan, on, on my picks because I have flubbed big time. <laughs> The last two weeks. So, you know, I'm, I don't know, Les. I, I think your strategy seems as viable as any. They don't have any real good teams in the lineup, so let's assume let's assume all losses because they, they seem to step up when they've got somebody good to play against. Maybe maybe Dallas is good. Maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, this is, uh, is going to be a, a weird week for the Pistons. I'm curious to see that, uh, that Orlando matchup. Um, Orlando has just really been uh, decimated with injuries. Um, and so we'll we'll see how that goes. Like they they don't have they don't have Markel Fultz. They don't have Aaron Gordon right now. They, uh, obviously, they lost Jonathan Isaac in the bubble. Um, like the only guy left on that team that that threatens anything offensively is Nikola Vucevic, who's been playing really well this year. He's an all an star candidate because he's doing everything offensively for that team. But yeah, I, I do kind of wonder if that's an area where the Pistons can either sneak a game. Or if that'll just be the game that ends like 76-84 and it's like, why did I sit down and watch this game? It, it probably means some guy we've never heard of on a two-way contract scores like 33 points, right? Like that just seems to happen. Yeah, the Glary, the Gary Clark Jr. revenge game or something. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> All right, Ben. This, this is a good podcast, man. I, 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 uh, I had a good week. I'm feeling this. This has been good. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, where they can uh, where they can talk to you about uh, the underrated, understated play of Delon Wright. <laughs> Come at me with those Delon Wright hot takes. I'm here for him. Uh, at BR Galker on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's the best place to, to get in touch. And uh, obviously, you can always follow me on Twitter uh, at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. 
thank you for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. We really appreciate it. Happy Valentine's Day. And we will talk to you all next week. See you.